0: Hi, I'm Don Mack, and welcome to the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. This show is focused on providing strategies to empower community success and vitality. Each episode will feature interviews with cutting-edge rural development thought leaders and community practitioners, remarkable entrepreneurs from business, government, and nonprofits, and by sharing the learnings of E2 entrepreneurial ecosystems. Connect with me, learn more about E2, and subscribe to this show at energizingentrepreneurs.org. Welcome to this episode of Pathways to Rural Prosperity. This is Don Mackey with E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems, and I will be your host for today's podcast. Caleb, welcome to our podcast today, sir. Thank you, Don. It's a
1: great pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, Caleb Pollard is our guest, and I use the description of economic developer, entrepreneur, business coach, and probably all around good guy. And so we are delighted to have you with us today. And Caleb, I always like to start out with sharing a little bit about your journey. And I've heard it before, but I think our audience will find it interesting because it really shapes your insights and the work you're doing. And so even though you are significantly younger than me, you do have a remarkable
1: journey. So share a little bit about your background. You bet. Well, I appreciate that, Don. I am a native Nebraskan and have lived 41 and a half of my 43 years here in Nebraska. I spent a year and a half living in Minnesota to finish up my high school career. But originally, I'm from a farming community named Nahaka, Nebraska, in southeast Nebraska. My family farm five miles west of Nahaka. And in 1990, my dad moved our family to Kearney and started a new adventure there. And that separation from the farm was pretty hard for me. I loved growing up on the farm. I think it shaped me in a lot of different ways with respect to my worldview on rural economic development and farming. And it serves as kind of an anchor point to maybe our conversation today about a desire to want to return back home. And from that standpoint of moving from the farm to Kearney, Then we moved to Minnesota halfway through my junior year of high school. I graduated high school there, and I moved back to Nebraska to go to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And I was going to study environmental studies there with a dual matriculation major in biosystems engineering. And found out after the first semester, I'm not real good at advanced level math classes and was really good at advanced level party classes. So I learned the hard way that college is a lot different than high school and stayed in the environmental studies program and leaned hard into both that and natural resource policy. And then my junior year of college, I was in Bob Kazelka's natural resource policy class on East Campus there in Lincoln. And I had a legislative aide from Senator Cap Dirk's office come in and they were hiring for an intern. And I went and I spoke to them and ended up getting that job. And that changed my trajectory towards rural economic development pretty significantly. Because that internship opened up a number of doors for me to think about what I wanted to do with my life And I really love the policy and the economic component to the environmental studies aspect that I wasn't necessarily getting in all my lab studies. I love being in the lab, but that was really kind of the door that opened. And because of that, I approached Bob and I said, Bob, I'm really interested in this program, this obscure program in the back of the student bulletin when it was still in catalog form and paper (laughs) form. I said, it's called Individualized Program of Study. And I said, I would like to create my own major Here at the university, would you be my sponsor? Because I need a professor sponsor to do it. And he said yes. And what we really did is we really started to focus that major with the elements of my environmental studies focus into more of an economic development focus. And at that same time, concurrently got a job which was super formative for me, which was I went to work for the Department of Economic Development at 21. And they gave me that summer, between my junior and senior year of college, they gave me a fuel card for the state of Nebraska. They gave me one of those old Ford Taurus <laughs> goes, if you remember those. Oh, yes. And they said, all right, you're the NCIP intern. Go out and do NCIP work. And so what I did is I got in the car and I drove probably 70 out of the 93 counties of the state that summer. And I got to meet really amazing people like Judy Brockmeyer in Eustace, Nebraska, and got to really dig my fingers into the doings of doing small town, rural economic development. And I was captured, just absolutely enthralled with the energy of the people that were behind it, the work that was being done. And it really, I think, started what I call my love affair with rural Nebraska. So I was 21 at the time. This is 2001 when this was all going on. And then, you know, you fast forward, I because of the change in major, it took me an extra semester and a half to get through college. I got through college At that time, we were starting our family, starting our careers in Lincoln. My wife and I were at that time. And I went into the private sector. And I worked in the private sector briefly until an opportunity came up at DED to go back to work for them as what they at that time called a workforce consultant. And what they really wanted me to do, this is in 2004, 2005, is they wanted me to start digging into this rural depopulation issue that was causing these workforce shortages in rural communities. And also, you know, to a a lesser extent, still to a significant extent, workforce shortages in urban environments like Lincoln, Omaha, Tri-Cities, South Sioux City, the fishhook, as we call it. And I parlayed that into a couple of lateral moves, one with the Omaha Chamber of Commerce. And then at that time in 2008, Valley County Economic Development, which is the county of where Ord is located, gave me a call and said, hey, remember back when you were doing that work with when you're at the university and at the State Department, would you be ever interested in coming back out here and doing some of that here? And I said, "Absolutely." And so in 2008, my wife and I packed up our family and we moved from Lincoln to here. And I served as Valley County Economic Development and the Ord Area Chamber of Commerce Director for five years before I started Scratchtown Brewing Company here in Ord, Nebraska. And then since then, that gives us a fast forward to 10 years from there. So this would be 2012 to 2022. I solely operated at Scratchtown and then was given an opportunity to jump back into economic development formally. When I was hired as a business coach for UNL Extension, and I serve now a year later, a three-county region, which is more like a five to six-county region, providing one-on-one consultation as a business coach and is kind of a small business liaison for multiple economic development offices out here. And I absolutely have just loved being back in this space and being involved in small business development and rural economic development, again, formally.
0: Yeah. And we're going to talk more about that, because that's one of the the areas I want to probe a little bit. Just an interesting connection. Now, this would have been back in the 70s, but my undergraduate degree at the university was in environmental studies. And in those days, I created my own program through something called university studies. So I had never made that connection with you before, but we have a little bit of that's that wild. in common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I decided later to become an economist, but continue to work in rural like you. You know, you mentioned your internships and in other conversations you and I have had, you've talked about mentors, your networks. Talk a little bit about more about those experiences and how they've helped you kind of wrap your head around the work that you do.
1: You know, what's been really important for me is they don't teach you how to build a network they don't teach you how to build relationships with mentors. It's it's something that's much more organic. And I think for me, in the process when I was a student to where I'm at today, one of my strengths has been building strong networks and seeking out mentors that serve as what I you've heard me say this a hundred times is what I call my personal Jedi council, is to help me be better, help me operate better, and help me network and connect with people where we can through shared mutual collaboration, tackle big audacious things and be successful at them. And I think from my standpoint, even moving to a community where I had very few personal contacts in 2008, you know, I would say now that I'm probably the most networked and most connected individual within the community that isn't a clergyman or woman and serving a beer across the taproom bar helps with that, obviously. But more importantly is that people recognize us here at Scratchtown and, and my work personally as connectors. That's what we do is we connect people to other individuals, we connect them to networks, we connect them to opportunities. And that's one thing that I say in small towns that we lack often the most are those that are versed exclusively in that connection piece. You know, I tell my clients on the coaching side, for example, is I don't have every answer. I don't have all the ideas in the world or the resources to bring to bear, but I probably know somebody who does. And so from my experiences, that's how I got connected to rural economic development opportunities directly as a as a young professional. And then also when you would go through the seesaw or the roller coaster of operating experiences or things like COVID, there's such a strong network there that you can reach back to because of that mu- mutual shared collaborative mindset and lean on those individuals when you need them and you need the help. And that, for me, I think is my network and my mentors are the single biggest reason why I'm successful. And without them, I would not be where I'm at today. I wouldn't be a business owner of two different businesses. And so I couldn't do what I've been able to do without that network, especially also that network with my family. I mean, that's incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to
0: Scratchdown. You have lived the life of an entrepreneur, the good and bad. And so I always want to probe a little bit, what drove you to leave economic development and actually dive into that world of being a maker and trying to be successful? And you have been as a business owner.
1: That's a great question. I think it's a bit of a three-legged stool. And when it comes to me kind of describing what that thought process won, is one, I knew that my terminal life as an economic development professional at the executive level was going to come to an end in ord, but I didn't want to go somewhere else and continue to practice economic development. I mean this when I say this, I found my home and we've been here for 15 years. I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere. And what I wanted to do is put down deep roots and I wanted to start practicing what I preached in real economic development is being a job creator and being a creator of both fun and culture. I mean, one of the things that's part of beer that's really fun and, and part of being a craftsman that's really fun is not only are you doing something with your hands, but you're also creating something that is alive and a literal and as well as hypothetical sense. And then you're also contributing to something that brings people together and contributes to the local. I mean, we don't think of culture as being a relative thing today. It's something that you think about as your ancestors or your past, but we create culture every single day. And small towns forget that we have a rich culture and a rich heritage that people are seeking out, and I wanted to contribute to that. And I also happened to be a home brewer at the time and was traveling extensively with my wife to places where fermentation was happening in either the wine, the beer, or the spirits universe. And I was traveling to small towns like Ord and places like Moab, Utah, and looking around and going, why can't we do this in Ord? We have a lot of the same features. We may not be in the high desert. We may not be in Utah. We may not be Moab, Utah. We may not have two national parks that we can leverage, but we have a lot of other similar assets here in this area that are incredibly powerful in terms of harnessing those opportunities. The second thing was, is that I was tired of talking about the things that we needed to do in Ford, Nebraska and rural Nebraska. And it was time to shut up and cash in the 401k and go and do those things and show people that we can be remarkable and we can do remarkable things. And we don't have to apologize when we do those things in in rural Nebraska. And the last thing is going back to my experience on the farm. So the third leg of that stool is what I love about fermentation science, what I love about fermentation, what I love about beer is that it is firmly rooted in agriculture. And what I wanted to do is be very deliberate in developing a vertically integrated supply chain with my local producer community I don't care how small of a market we are. I wanted to prove that we could develop additional on-farm income streams for local producers to provide us with ingredients. And when you take those three things together, we call it positive transformation through fermentation, is what we want to be is very deliberate in transforming our community in a positive manner and stop talking about it from a practitioner standpoint or from a consultant standpoint and show people how you do it. And I think for the last 12 years, we've been able to do that. Yeah. Well,
0: and it's just interesting this week, Nebraska Public Television is rerunning their feature on craft brewing which you're in and so for our listeners if you go to Nebraska Public Media and look at the television side, you can pull that program up, but just tell us a little bit about Scratchtown and the kinds of brews that you're making Because it is really neat across Nebraska, across America, craft brewing has really added to the uniqueness. I know when we go, we were recently in New Mexico, we sought out local brew pubs to visit and just experience what they were creating. And so tell us a little more about Scratchtown and how the name came about.
1: That's a great question. So Scratchtown, my partners and I formed it in 2012, and we wanted to be small and maintain smallness and be that positive agent of change. And one of the ways that we wanted to do that was, as I had talked about the area lakes, we have area lakes here within 20 miles in four directions. It brings a lot of people out to the area. We wanted to capitalize on that and then also make beer that we could distribute at least at the statewide level to invite people to come out to our tap room, to come out to our community and see all the remarkable things that are going on here. We felt like we were both stewards as well as ambassadors to the Southeastern Sandhills. Of Nebraska, which we are and we have been, and we have some really amazing experiences that we wanted to share, and we felt like Scratchdown was a great vehicle to do that, and that has been a a solid bet from the beginning that continues to pay dividends for us. Is that we get, we have people from all around the world that continue to travel out here, and in fact, we had a big festival event on Saturday here, and half my crowd was non locals. Half my crowd was not even like quasi local. We're talking Denver, Des Moines. Kansas City. So that's a pretty strong draw. And that was something that we wanted to do. And the other thing that we really wanted to do is that we really wanted to practice traditional fermentation practice. So we do everything by hand here. We're very, very inefficient. We're very old school on purpose. And we're very dedicated to what we call the experience of beer, because our opinion is is that craft beer is a return to normalcy. When you had hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of breweries around the country, much like you see in Germany, providing that local flavor, that local flair that people are used to when you think of wine. That was the experience in beer in the United States up until Prohibition. And then you had this massive consolidation of beer. And what you really lost is a lot of that culture, that history, and the width of the beer experience. So since that time, we've brewed over 250 different styles of beer, and our ultimate goal is to continue to take people on a beer experience that is unique to the flavors that you can find in our area, unique to the water profile that we have with that wonderful aquifer water we have underneath the ground here, in a unique place that has a really unique story to tell. And I think that when you put all those pieces together, that's one of the biggest reasons why we've been successful. The last piece to it is when we were looking around, and asking ourselves, where's the third space after five o'clock in order Nebraska for people to come together and break bread? And it just didn't exist. And that was one of the things that we wanted to create too. You know, when we talk about solving local problems, is we did not have a local hangout that people felt comfortable going in and having a beer at. At that time, we had a couple dark dingy bars and we had the vets club. And trust me, I love myself a dive bar. Don't get me wrong. Not everybody in our community wants that. And so what we provided was something that people wanted with a determination and a focus on being transformational.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, when I was in Melbourne, Australia, working in Victoria, uh, I had a chance to do a speaking tour. I was in Geelong, and it's a area next to Melbourne. And, and I said, well, where do the entrepreneurs meet? And they started mentioning bars and wine establishments. And so, okay, the sports medicine people gather every Thursday, at this place and it was really fun because i had my evenings free and i would go to these different places and invariably they would buy me my meal and my drink and i'd have a chance to explore what they were doing so i i get it i think you need those spaces for this kind of conversation to occur
1: and to that point Don. to that point i conducted business at our festival on saturday night while our i call them our kids you know my oldest son's now working for us for example but our our younger beer tender staff is working the festival and I get a chance to kind of cool off and have an hour to two hours just to chew the fat with the local community. And, And half that time I spent, I was talking to other business owners about like big ideas for our community. How do we take things like what we're doing with these little festivals and make them bigger and make bigger draws? Or how do we tackle these systemic issues within downtown Ord that are problematic for redevelopment, for example? And I had some really great conversations over a pint or two with my local community about how to solve those problems.
0: Yeah, well, it's
1: the environment
0: in which creativity occurs. It really is. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, before we
0: spend the rest of our time talking about your role as a business coach, you mentioned two businesses. So what's the second one? I'm not sure I know.
1: I own a holding company for the real estate that I own downtown. Ah, And my goal is to expand those holdings to do more redevelopment projects in downtown. I mean, I really... Again, if I'm talking like completely transparently, honestly, ultimately, if we're going to show people why these downtowns should be saved because they're 130 years old and they have 130 year old problems, they're also wonderful, (laughs) wonderful community. It's the heart and the soul of our community. And if we don't take care of that, the rest of our community is going to wither on the vine, in my opinion. We have a community space, a community center, and it was just wonderful to, you know, Saturday night is a perfect example. You know, we've got bluegrass playing in downtown, or we've got food trucks, we've got tons of people here, and all the kids are on the courthouse lawn playing. It's the kind of atmosphere I always wanted my kids to grow up in. They got that experience, and that's the kind of atmosphere I'm hoping that as a community we continue to offer for the next two to three generations that come after us. So getting my hands dirty on the real estate side is something that I think, you know, not just now, but in the future I'm going to have to do more of. And then the third is going to be back to my connection with agriculture is that eventually I want to have a bigger piece of property that I have now, which I have 13 acres, but I want to scale that. I would like to do more fermentation farming. My family is deep, deep roots to that, all the way back to the homesteading of our family farm back in the 1870s. And it's just something I feel called to. And I want to monetize that in a way that we can utilize through different modes of fermentation. So,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well,
1: Let's talk a little bit about your
0: latest gig, and that is your work with the University of Nebraska Extension and your role as a business coach, not only in Valley County and Ord, but Broken Bow and Custer County and up in Valentine and Cherry County. This is a return to your role as an economic developer, but now you've got the experience of being an entrepreneur, having been there and dealt with what that's like. Uh, talk a little bit about what you do every week as a business coach.
1: You know, what I call myself is, with the businesses of my clients that I serve, I call them their biggest cheerleader. is that what my goal is to do is to help them reach what their goals and their objectives are. This is a flaw of economic development and not one that I think is intentional. It's, I think, quite logical, is that we want scalable businesses that are unicorns, that are huge transformational enterprises for wherever they they choose to be located. And I certainly understand the allure to that. But one of the things that a friend of mine by the name of Erica says is that the thing about unicorns are is they're, they're mystical creatures. They're not real. So <laughs> we need to be in the trenches helping real businesses with real-world problems. And oftentimes, a confidential third-party advocate is – precisely the solution to help these small town, small businesses do these things. So my typical workday is is very focused on one-on-one consultations with business owners in that three Canon region. It's more like a five canon region now because there's a lot of people in the periphery. They're like, oh Caleb's back in this business. We want to, we want to talk to him and see what he's up to. <laughs> and one thing I do specialize in and I'm really good at is deal flow structuring financial deals to help businesses grow. One of the big areas of focus for me right now is helping baby boomers that are in the transitory period of retirement sell their businesses to younger operators. And I'm pleased to announce that we approved a local option municipal economic development loan last week for another another business transition in Valley County that'll be fairly significant in terms of its impact to our area, just in terms of going back to culture and that experience of small town living and creating jobs. And then I do some consultative work on the higher level, you know, the more 30,000 foot view. And I enjoy that. But most of my relationships and most of my work is very one-on-one or one-on-twos, one-on-threes. And I'm meeting confidentially with businesses to work through whatever it is they want to work through. And some businesses that I found are, are not interested in the financial tools to grow. They need technical assistance. Maybe it's specialized legal assistance. Maybe it's Web development, social media advertising, or, you know, the third thing that is post COVID, I think that is even more, it's more urgent. And that is the mental health side of things with small business owners is that that's one of the things that I experienced myself going through the 2020 quarantine shutdown and all that fun business. And it's one of the things that as I work through it myself and with my business partners, I realized that we had some unique experiences that were very instructive. We learned a lot. And we got a lot better as a business through that time, as painful as it was. And then if you have a gift, I think a mentor of mine told me this a long time ago, Jack Ruff he said, Caleb, if you have a gift, you need to pay it forward. And so those opportunities all aligned. My oldest kid at that time had graduated high school in 2022. So as you remember, Don, that opens up a lot more free time yep. in your personal <laughs> life. And, and it was time for me to jump back in and pay forward these gifts and help business owners reach whatever their goals and objectives are. So I do a lot of one-on-one. I would say 80% of my time is one-on-one with business owners. And it's been really, really fun to do that.
0: Well, and I think you raise a really important point. And that is, yeah, there's the hard business stuff, business plan, financing. But as an entrepreneur, there is the other side, and that's life balance and mental health and all the things that go with that. And I just think it's an important part of the listening and the connecting is sometimes the answers aren't, oh, you need this business solution. You actually need to take care of yourself and your family in the process.
1: There is not a single course of economic development, literature or experience that I've had formally when I went through IEDC or anything like that, that ever instructed people that you were going to be doing that as an economic development professional with small business owners. They feel isolated. Oftentimes they feel like they're on an Island and they have too much pride sometimes to ask for help. I did. I did. That's why I know this is that I had too much pride to ask for help until it got really bad. I'm willing to be vulnerable publicly and share with people like it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to not know everything when it comes to your business. There have been a lot of curveballs thrown at us the last three years. It's okay not to know how to operate in that environment and that you shouldn't feel shame when you ask for help. And when you do it in a way that I I feel like we've been able to do it successfully through this confidential engagement process, the amount of weight that you can physically see lift off people's shoulders when you explain to them, I know how you feel, I've been there, we're going to get through this together, and I, I promise you, we're going to keep this confidential. That really does open up a lot of doors, and it really does help solve a lot of challenges.
0: Absolutely. Well, have hope. Our good friend Del Gines is now with IADC for our audience. That's the International Economic Developers Association or counsel, get that last part right. And Dell's very sensitive to that. And I think in his role as curriculum development, we're going to see some progress and maybe you'll get a chance to be an instructor. Who knows? Caleb, as I warned you, our time goes fast. We're going to wrap up, sir. But I just want to thank you for making time
1: to be a guest. You're very welcome. It's always fun to do this with you, Don. And it's always fun to talk economic development, especially rural economic development, because we've We share a lot of the same worldview when it comes to what we need to do to help communities point themselves in the right direction and be self-determinant in their future.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well,
1: folks, time to wrap up. Just
0: want to remind you of
1: our resources,
0: of course. Go to our website, energizingentrepreneurs.org. There's a whole set of resources. Our good friend Tara with Network Kansas has reworked the website so it's really organized around themes or questions so if you're looking for financing or whatever we think it's an improved product thank to her of course our podcasts are all there and we've integrated our writings and our podcasts so if you go to those theme pages you'll find you know if you prefer to listen to something versus reading it that option's there for you Specific to this podcast, we're going to share how you can connect to Scratchtown. We encourage you to go there and have a brew. A little bit about Rural Prosperity Nebraska's business coaching initiative, of which Caleb is part. And of course, we're going to share with you once again the Org Story Collection, where Caleb is based, where Scratchtown is, and the wonderful stories, including some of those that David I. Quinta has done with Caleb specifically. So those will be made available to you once again. And so, Caleb, thanks for being my guest. All my best. And to our friends and listeners, all the best to you and your efforts to grow a stronger rural America, one community at a time. Thanks and take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast. Head on over to energizingentrepreneurs.org, where you can subscribe to this podcast and tap into more than 25 years of field experience from E2 Entrepreneurial Ecosystems. I'm Don Mackey, and I'll see you next time on Pathways to Rural Prosperity podcast.